Bibles, if you would, and turn to Matthew's Gospel, Matthew 16. Let us read verses 13 through the end of the chapter. Let's give attention to God's Word this morning as He speaks to us. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth you shall, shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, you are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits its soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Amen. Thus ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. As you are, let's let's go to the Lord of Prayer. Lord, today we rejoice in you. And we give you thanks, O oh God, that we could be in your house and worship you and to sing your praises, to lift up our, our needs to you, Lord, to affirm the faith that you have given to us. But Lord, we more than anything are so excited to come into your house to hear your word. Uh, and we thank you that we've heard it read a couple of times and pray now that is, as it is preached that you would accomplish your purpose. And it would not return void. We thank you, Lord, and pray this in your name. Amen. Well, for the last several weeks, we've been looking at Matthew 16, 18, where Jesus says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And we've been thinking about what it means that Jesus builds his church. And of course, uh, as we say that, we're not talking about Jesus building buildings. The church is not the building. The church is the people. And so Christ building his church is what happens in discipleship. It is what happens in sanctification. And uh, it's, it's what happens in causing us to grow in our faith. And not just individually, 
but to gather as a church body as well. But it also involves as well what we call evangelism or, or witnessing as we go and we share Christ because Christ builds his church as he gathers and he brings in the elect of God's people. And so not only does Jesus build us up individually, uh, something that is done to us, but Jesus does discipleship and sanctification and evangelism through us as he uses us to, to grow each other and to reach others for the gospel's sake. And that's important for us, I think, as we think about the church, because in many ways, consumerism, whether we want to admit it or not, is, is more the default for most people's view of the church than, than what we realize. And I've, I, even as we've been going through this series, I have been convicted myself of the things that I've seen in my own heart and, and the ways in which I've, I've been so frustrated and I've wanted the church to be the way I've wanted. And it's caused me to ask, you know, uh, is it not so easy to ask, what will the church do for me? Or, or, or does the church live up to my expectations of what the church ought to be? Rather than how might Christ use me in this building program to his honor and glory. And so first of all, we are reminded that Jesus himself is the builder of the church. But secondly, uh, having built this church, we also know that Christ preserves his church. Uh, the one who uh, is the builder of the church down through the ages is also the one who has preserved and kept his church. And we've seen many attacks upon God's people, and yet God has always had his remnant. Um, I think it's interesting as we... we read passages like Philippians 1 verse 6 he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion of the day of Jesus Christ and we oftentimes think of that as an individual promise that's to me that that's what Christ is going to do and there's a sense in which that's true but it's interesting that when Paul writes that to the Philippian congregation the the you there is plural uh, and he who began a good work in you the church will bring it to completion on the day of Christ. So he will not only build that church, but he will preserve that church even to the very end of time. But today what I want us to see is, is that Christ is the Lord of the church, and he exercises his power through the church. And, uh, and I think it's important for us to ask, you know, even as individuals, what does it mean for me as an individual to acknowledge that Jesus is Lord of my life. But it's equally as important for us to acknowledge what does it mean for us as a fellowship of God's people to acknowledge that Jesus is Lord of our congregation. And how does that affect who we are as a church and how we do ministry and, and as we think about ourselves. And so it's in the context of this passage of Matthew 16, 18 uh, that we've been looking at that Jesus spells out several things about his lordship that I want us to look at today. Uh, the first thing we see is, is that Jesus is lord of the church because he purchased the church with his death. Because he purchased the church with his death. Look at verse 21. He says, from that time, that is from the time that Peter confessed that Jesus was the Messiah, the events that happened before that, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things for the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. Now, of course, we read that Peter begins to argue with Jesus over that statement in verse 22. Right after that, he pulls Jesus aside and he rebukes him and says, Never, Lord, 
should that happen? But then in verse 23, Jesus says to Peter that his statement about dying is one of the things of God. In other words, uh, the Jesus' death is not simply a tragedy of life, but it is part of God's divine purpose of salvation. That without the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, it is impossible for Jesus to be Lord of the church. Uh, for one reason, because there would be no church. There would be no people of God if, if Christ had, had not died. And I think it's interesting that while Peter is struggling here in this text, later on, Peter is writing to the church. And, and he actually finally gets it. It hits him. The Holy Spirit reveals it to him. In 1 Peter chapter 1, at verse 18, uh, Peter would say that, that the church has been purchased. It has been ransomed. And this is what he says. Knowing that, that you as the church were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold. Okay, now, today in our economy, silver and gold looks pretty good. A lot of people are seeking silver and gold to try to hedge their investments and things like that. We sort of see that as a, as a precious thing. As a matter of fact, if you try to go buy something, you'll find out how precious it is. It's very costly uh, to buy silver or gold. Okay, but, but he says, we were not purchased with perishable things, such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. Like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. You see, Peter sees how important that is, that Christ had to die. And that, this is a frequent truth that we find in the teachings of the apostles. That Jesus died in order to purchase the church for himself. Now, the obvious implications of that kind of purchasing power of Christ is that the church belongs to no one else but to him. It is his church. So Kirk of the Plains is not Pastor Rick's church. It's not your church. It's not the founding uh, members of the congregation's church it is Christ's church it's not the church of the state it's, it's not uh, the, your, you and I's church it is only Christ's church but we also see that there's no links that Jesus will not go to uh, for the sake of his church if he has given his life for his church will he not give to his bride all that she needs uh, not maybe everything she wants but definitely everything that she needs. Uh, what does Paul say in Romans chapter 8, verse 31? But that Christ did not, or that God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Because Christ, as the Lord of the church, loves his church, and he has laid down his life. And it is interesting that, that this is the very teaching that Peter struggled with and even rebuked Jesus over. Because, see, he couldn't see how this would work out. All he knew is, is that Jesus was saying he's going to die. And that went against what Peter thought God wanted and what God was doing. Peter didn't understand God's purpose that he was carrying out for his church, how glorious Christ's death and resurrection would be for the church. But likewise... We don't always understand what God is doing in our midst as His people as well. Uh, Jesus can do 
with us whatever he pleases, but we don't always see that. And sometimes we even fight against that which God is doing, either in our lives individually or in our lives as a church. And like Peter, we, we argue with the Lord of the church. We saw a couple of weeks ago how Peter described uh, the individual members of the church, and he described the, them in 1 Peter 2, 5 as living stones that he was putting together. We talked about how Christ had the right to take those stones and put them wherever they wanted to go. Sometimes we want to say, Oh Lord, I can't do that ministry of the church. Oh Lord, I can't talk to that person about you. Oh Lord, I can't. And then just fill in the blank. But He is the Lord of the church. And He can put us wherever He wants to use us because He is building this glorious building. This means that the Lord can use us any way He wishes, wherever He desires. And so brothers and sisters, are our eyes so focused on Christ that our hearts, and our hearts so submissive to Him, that we would gladly do what He desires for us, no matter what it might cost us? Do we have the same heart as our Lord who prayed in the garden, Lord, not my will, but Your will be done. Jesus will build His church, but will He do so through us, or will He do so in spite of us? Are we ready and willing for Jesus to use us as He wants? Now, it may be that you are someone who says, Yes! Yes, I will do what Jesus wants. And great glory be to God. You know how glorious and wonderful that is. But if you're here today and you thought, well, you know, honestly, I don't really think that much about what Jesus wants. You know, except maybe when I come on Sundays or, or sometimes during the week. But I really am just sort of operating my life the way that I desire. Or maybe even worse, maybe you're struggling with the Lord this morning. Maybe he's dealing with your heart about something and you don't want to listen to it and you've been fighting him and you've been saying, Lord, I don't want to do that. Maybe there's some sin that you've been wrestling with and, and he is, is calling you to, to repent of that sin and, and to receive his forgiveness and yet you want to hang on to that sin. But he is saying to you, I am the Lord. And if you are here today and you are wrestling and you are fighting with the Lord, let me just tell you this. Just rest in him. Just give it to Jesus. Just listen to Him. He is the Lord, and He has the right to call us to do whatever He wants. And whatever He has for us is good, brothers and sisters. Let it dawn upon us, as the great hymn writer put it so well, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. That's what discipleship's all about. Obeying all things that He has commanded us. So we must ask ourselves, are we Jesus's to do whatever He wants to do with us, utterly without reservation? Or is the struggle that Peter had still our struggle where we say, Lord, never may it be. The second thing we see in our text today is in verse 19, where Jesus is the Lord of the church because He expands it through the proclamation of the gospel. We read in verse 19, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, for some of you, you've studied a lot, 
And you know that uh, these words have caused endless controversy throughout church history. And we're not going to seek to address all of that this morning. As a matter of fact, let me direct you to maybe a helpful place for you. If you go to the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 31, it talks about the keys to the kingdom. Um, but, but their meaning ought to be apparent to us that the one who has the keys to the kingdom of heaven determines who should be admitted and who must be refused admission to the kingdom of heaven. And this is done by means of the preaching of the gospel, also as well through church discipline. But this morning I just want to talk about the preaching of the gospel. In other words, as we openly proclaim Christ, according to his commands, to those who receive the good news by faith, all their sins are forgiven, and they enter into the kingdom of heaven. The door is open, in essence, to them. But on the contrary, as the gospel is preached to unbelievers who do not repent, the wrath of God abides on them forever and ever and ever. That door is closed. And these words are, 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 are not just to Peter. Some want to attribute that and say it's sort of through his lineage and stuff. But if you look at Matthew 18, 18, you see that Jesus is repeating these words for all of his disciples. And, and uh, what Jesus is saying is, is that I'm giving you the keys that will open the door into the riches of the grace of God and the gospel so that you can provide people with a message of grace and salvation and forgiveness that's so desperately needed. And of course, this is exactly what happened on the day of Pentecost, is it not? When, when Peter stood up, he took the keys of the gospel and he turned that key in the door before these thousands of people and the door to eternal life was swung open to them. Amen? And God still does that work today. The reason this happened, though, with Peter is, is that the Lord Jesus had appointed Peter as a steward of the gospel. It is the gospel that opens the door to the hearts of men and women. Now, this is important to remember because I think we are inclined to say sometimes, especially in the days and the times in which we live, that the door seems to be more closed to the gospel than what it did in years past. Because people don't seem to be so willing to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's more difficult to share Christ with others. But you see, what Jesus is saying is, I'm not so interested about the doors or where the doors are. I'm interested in where the key is. And brothers and sisters, the key, if you want to say in essence, it's sort of it's in our pocket. It's actually in our hearts. It's, it is in the Word of God. It is as if Jesus is saying to us, Dear friends, what are you doing in saying that the doors are closed? You have the key that opens that door. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That it'll be, it's the, the Holy Spirit working through the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ that will open that door. And your responsibility is not to wait until the door is open and then share the gospel, but to use the key to open it any way that you can. And brothers and sisters, I don't know about you, but that speaks to me because I, I don't really have that personality that lends itself to being a personal witness. And there may be those of you that are here today that you can sort of relate to that. And you're like, I, I love the Lord Jesus and I want people to know him, but that's really hard for me. And, and, and even if you are of those who don't have the gift of evangelism, Jesus still says to all of us to take the key out of your pocket and use it. And Jesus says, watch me open the door. Watch me open the door. And how that speaks to us as a congregation. 
How is Kirk of the Plains ever going to reach the increasing hostile culture in which we live? It's not to get on Facebook and set everybody straight in their political views or their views about social justice or that. It is to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now the gospel does speak to these other issues as well, so I'm not making light of those things. But it is what Christ will do as we faithfully proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. The third thing we see is that Jesus is Lord of the church because He calls the church to a life of bearing the cross. Look at verses 24 and 25. Then Jesus told His disciples, If anyone would come after Me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow Me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for My sake will find it. So what does it mean to be Jesus' disciple? It means to have Him as your crucified Savior and Lord, which means walking in His footsteps of bearing the cross. Christ lived His life in the shadow of the cross and doing the will of His Father. But it wasn't something that He begrudged doing. It was something He loved doing. As a matter of fact, Jesus says in John 4, it is my nourishment. It is what gives me strength to do the will of my Father because He so loved His Father. He, there's nothing more that He wanted to do than, than to, to serve Him and to please Him. And likewise, we are to live our lives seeking to follow Him, obeying all that He has commanded. If, if we are to be followers of Him as a crucified Lord, then we will, in a miniature way, copy His wife. We will be like Him. Now, it sounds so appealing to have Jesus as Savior because He's the one who pays the cost, right? And so, yes, Jesus is my Savior. That's wonderful. But to have Jesus as Lord is to cost us. And it's not just to cost us something. It's really to cost us everything if we really understood uh, who Christ is. It sort of reminds me of what Thomas Akempis said. He said, there will always be many who love Christ's heavenly kingdom, but few who will bear his cross. Many are eager to be happy with him, that is with Jesus, but few wish to suffer anything for him. But we don't follow Jesus just out of a sense of duty. We don't bear our cross just out of a sense of duty, but we do so out of love. Just like Christ loved the Father, so is as we love Him, we desire to do His will. There's nothing that brings us greater joy in our lives than to do that. Jesus said that the way to find your life is what? To lose it. To get rid of all of our agenda and our to-do list and, and the things that, that we want to do. And as we live our lives in Jesus' footsteps, we will know what it is to truly live. So brothers and sisters, there is a sense in which even bearing our cross, there is a sense of joy and of blessedness for the believer. Uh, if you have walked with the Lord for any number of years, you know what I'm talking about. That no matter what Jesus asks you to give up, no matter where He comes to you and He says, this is how I want you to bear my cross, that you are blessed in that. I'm not saying it's not difficult. Christ has never hidden the fact that we are called to bear our cross. And there are some crosses that we bear that are so difficult that maybe we don't even understand the totality in this life, uh, the, what He is doing. 
And so maybe there's still that pain. But still, in following Christ, there is no greater joy, brothers and sisters. Here again, Thomas Akempis said, If you willingly carry the cross, it will carry you. It will take you to where suffering comes to an end, a place other than here. If you carry it unwillingly, you create a burden for yourself and increase the load, though still you have to bear it. Isn't that true? That if we fight with the Lord, maybe like Peter did, and say, Lord, I don't want to do this. And God is calling you to bear a cross, and you, you seek not to do that. You, you make that load heavier. He says, but if you try to do away with one cross, you will find another, and perhaps a heavier one. How do you expect to escape what no one else can avoid? Because as disciples of Christ, we are called to bear the cross. Um, and the cross is something that, that kills. It's something that, uh, that causes us to die. And, and there are times as Christians where um, that's exactly what the cross does in our lives. There are times when Jesus puts us in circumstances where we can no longer argue with him. Uh, we have no choice but to bear that cross. But there are times when Jesus puts a congregation in a place where they say that they cannot cope with the circumstances that they find themselves in. As, as difficult as those circumstances are, they cannot do that. But Jesus says, if anyone would come after me. Brothers and sisters, we can follow Jesus. We can follow Jesus. He is a Christ who understands suffering. God never calls us to do something or to go somewhere where He has not gone. And so we have a God who understands we have a God who not just sympathizes, He empathizes with us. And so He leads us and He guides us as we walk and we follow Him. Brothers and sisters, there is no real fruitfulness in our lives nor in our church fellowship without that joyful bearing of our cross daily. And not just individually, but even as a church as well. And fourth and finally, Jesus is Lord of the church because he comes at the end of the age to judge our service. Look at verse 27. For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Now, now notice the wording there. Uh, you would expect Jesus to say that he will come to condemn people for what they have done. Because I think as sinners... Uh, we have an instinctual fear of, of the judgment of God. But notice that he says the Son of Man will come to repay each according to what he has done. Uh, and, and when he comes even to reward his people, it's not some sense of works righteousness, but the idea that the labor of each believer will not be lost. That it, that it counts for something. That it's something that Christ is doing. And I, I want you to see here too, uh, just the dignity of this word, of these words. He said he is come, or he is to come in the glory of the Father. Now, now think about that—that that ineffable and inaccessible light, which shines forth from the Father, also enwraps the Son. And so the Son will come in all His glory with His angels. That's just a magnificent sight. I mean. That the, our resurrected Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, He comes. And it is in that ultimate authority that Jesus will judge His people. And, and what 
As I read this passage, I'm reminded what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3. You can turn there if you want. 1 Corinthians 3, verses 11 through 15. He, he sort of describes that time of judgment, at least for the believer. He says, For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold and silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only through fire. In other words, as believers, there are things that we do in our lives, works of service that we give to the Lord. And there are things that we seek to do to, to, to die to ourselves, to, to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, to work in His power and His strength. And we are building those things with, with precious things, gold and silver, with, with uh, things that, that are eternal. But there are things that we do that we really do because we want people to think good of us. There are things that we do that are hood, uh, hay, wood, and stubble. Things that we do that we do in our own strength, not in the power of the Holy Spirit. Things that we do that we think that we're doing for God, but it's really not His will. And, and he says, all those things will be tested. And some of those things, those things that are, are pure and glorifying to God will survive, but those things that are of us will be burnt away. And it says, uh, um, they will all be burned up. He will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only through fire. And on that day, every person's works will be judged for, for what they are. But can you imagine when Jesus comes as the glorified Christ with His angels? Can you imagine what it would be like for those faithful servants on that day? When Jesus comes in all His glory and He shows us the lines of His purposes in our lives. How His call to us to die to self and to take up our cross and to serve Him was used of Him through His faithful servants to build His church for Him to show us how He was using us for His glory. Can you imagine seeing the connection of how Christ used you and used me to build His church? Uh, brothers and sisters, that would be reward enough, would it not? Uh, just to see our Savior um, be exalted. No wonder uh, Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. You know, at the end of the day, the cross that we are called to carry is, is so worth bearing, brothers and sisters, because it's not worth comparing to the glory that we will receive like Jesus Christ did. He went to the cross and He suffered and He died, but He was resurrected as the glorious Lord. And the same is true for us. While we are here upon this earth, we will bear our cross. We will suffer. Even as a church, that will happen. I can guarantee you at some point in time, that will happen if the Lord tarries long enough. But one day, we will, we will be in His glorious presence. And the things that we suffer, we'll look back on that and think, that was nothing. How awesome to be here in the presence of our God. To worship Him. And so brothers and sisters, you know, 
2020, we've seen a lot of things happen in our country. Uh, some things that, that we could never imagine. Um, we have also seen things in our church, maybe, that we thought would never happen. And it may be our temptation to, to worry about the unknown future. We don't know what's going to happen. For some people, there's great anxiety until they're going to see what happens in November with the elections. Some people are more concerned about the stock market and whether their portfolio is going to survive. There are some people, though, that are fearful just even of the current events and, and uh, the different rumblings that are happening across our country. And then there are some people, brothers and sisters, are any of you like, I'm just tired of all this. Actually, I'm just numb. I'm just sort of apathetic. I don't even get on Facebook anymore because I just don't want to hear all this stuff. But wherever you are, you know, and, and some of you may even be working hard to try to maintain life and just think, I have this life and all these circumstances in 2020 seem to be threatening the well-being of my life. But I just want to work hard to try to keep everything as normal as possible. But brothers and sisters, we may not be able to do that. But one thing we can be certain is, is that Jesus is the builder of his church. And regardless of the things that are happening, he will defend and he will preserve his church. He is the Lord of His church. And He is worthy to be followed, no matter what that suffering may be. So brothers and sisters, we can rest in Jesus, knowing that He is the Lord of the church. Uh, that Jesus will, what He is doing, He will victoriously accomplish His purposes, because He is Lord. Amen? Amen. Let's bow our heads as we uh, consider the word that was preached to us this morning, and how we might appropriately respond to it. Jesus, our Savior and Lord, we, we are so thankful for your word that you've given to us this morning. God, the, the, the times in which we live do seem to be in great turmoil, much like the, the surface of a volcano when it's grumbling, but before it's completely erupted. And, and we don't know what's going to happen, whether the volcano is going to erupt or, or why. But how good it is to know that you are the Lord that you are the Lord of your church and that you are accomplishing your purposes and you will continue to build up your church no matter what the circumstances are. And Lord, I pray that you would strengthen the, our feeble hearts today. God, that you would help us to dwell upon these things this week, that it would spur us on to worship you, Lord, as we go beyond just the worries and the concerns of this life 
but as we rejoice to know that you truly are Lord and there is no one greater than you and that all things have been put under the feet of Jesus for the sake of his church. Oh, and may your people say, Amen, Lord. And may you come quickly, Lord Jesus. We thank you and pray in the meantime that you would continue to build your church and that you would use us, Lord, Kirk of the Plains, the other churches in our community, in our state, Lord, your church around the world to bring glory to your name and, and to gather in your people. Oh, Lord, deal with our hearts where it needs to be dealt with. Encourage us where we need to be encouraged, but also convict us of the sins, Lord, of maybe neglecting these truths to understand that you are the builder of the church. Um, Father, we pray uh, that you would be honored and glorified uh, in all of these things. And that, Lord, you would work in us. That we would know life, Lord, by giving our lives away. We thank you and pray this in your name. Amen.